I'm excited about this morning because I believe we're trying to always listen to the Lord here at Renovation, but as this week unfolded into the response from last week's message, we felt like that I would rather or we would rather stay somewhere too long and wear out our welcome than leave too soon on this particular subject, okay? So a couple of things I want to do before I call up Dr. Dan and Allie here in just a few minutes is for one to know that when we speak on a subject like this, and I have a couple of times over the time that we've been here, I do with some caution, no doubt, because I know folks can walk away from here a, a little feeling like it's too simplistic. I want you to understand, I don't look at it that way and we don't look at it that way. We are a church. We do preach the gospel, the good news. We believe the good news and the transformation of Jesus Christ can do anything. He's not limited. But I also want to let you know that we as a staff are not trained or educated as professional counselors. We don't do long-term counseling here at Renovation. It's not something that we have probably partly because we're not trained, obviously, and educated, but if you look at our experience and our personalities and our gift mix where none of us have compassion, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah, if you look at that, you go, wow, okay, mercy did not ring high for anybody on our staff. That's bad. We see ourselves more as coaches. That's really where our bent. If you know us well, you'll see that in us. The other thing I would say along with that, yes, I am a, I look at myself maybe as a triage counselor. I mean, if it's an emergency, I'll step in and try to get you to the right place. That's really the way I look at that, just so you know that. We talked about it last week at our, the suicide rate in the last 20 years has jumped 33%. That's just in the U.S. That just seems staggering to me. I don't know if it does to you or hits you. And again, we're not going to load you up with statistics today, but it just seems uh, almost unbelievable. And we want to make sure as we talk about this, just because I have experience in anxiety and depression in my own life or in my family's life, I mean, I've had a parent who's had it. I've had siblings who've had it, have children who had it. I personally have experienced it. My wife has gone through times of depression. We've gone through it. Just because I have doesn't make me an expert. But if you guys give me some insight of knowing that I, get to, I came out the other end, it does give me that. But we also know for some folks, that's not going to be enough. And we want to make sure and encourage you again, as we've said last week, and we'll say again a third part next week most likely. We'll let you know this week. If you need to seek professional counseling, mental and medical, you need to do that. If you're concerned that you may hurt yourself or hurt someone else, you need to seek help. We have the, I think the suicide hotline specifically, I think may have it up on the screen. Write that down. Sometimes you may just need to get through a period. It may not be a long-term thing, but we want to make sure you have a place to go to because you may not be able to get a hold of us and it may not, we may not be the best call for sure. 
but you will find it there. Or text, for some of you, you don't want to make that phone call. Text 741-741 if that's where you need to go. We want to make sure that you know that and that we recommend that if you choose a reputable, I guess, or, or if that's the right word, I guess, is maybe not the right word, but a good mental and health professional. They can help you streamline, and there's some other things that we're going to talk about today they can help you with also that we would never be able to help with from the medical side of this. So we just want to make sure you understand all of that this morning. With that said, I'm going to invite Dr. Dan Spade and Allie Gentry up to the platform. And we're going to try something here that I don't think we've tried since we've been here. And we're going to tag team a message today. And I believe it will work, and, but we're going to try it, okay? So you give us some, you're going to give us grace today on this. I hope and pray you'll give us grace on this. As most of you know, Dr. Dan is not only a, if you've been to any of his classes or listened to his teach, he's a biblical scholar, but before that, and as he continues, he is a... He needs a loan. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he is a medical doctor, and he's going to be speaking to us in a certain arena today that I think will be, well, which will tie two, those two together from the scriptural and from the physical part of that. Allie? As many of you know, uh, is my daughter. She's also has been called to preach and speak, as many of you know that. But also she has dealt with depression, not only in her adolescence, but also as an adult. And she's going to be addressing that from her vantage point today. And one of the things I would say, just to, just to make sure you understand, I get the fact, because I've experienced both of these, is I've experienced depression and I've experienced anxiety, and I think I've experienced them both at the same time. But they don't all, you don't always have to experience them at the same time. I know for me, inside of depression, I begin to detach myself. I become very undisciplined, not only in my spiritual life, but in, in a lot of other areas. But one of the things I know in depression over the years, especially before I was a Christian, but I didn't think a whole lot about the future, because I had no hope in the future. <laughs> I just thought about now. And for the most part, I detached myself from now, even interaction with other people and interaction even with my hobbies or sports that I love or whatever. It didn't matter. When it doesn't matter whether Arkansas wins or Cardinals, you know something's wrong, okay? <laughs> St. Louis Cardinals. Anxiety. For me, it was the opposite, and you could maybe attest to this, and that is, I do think about the future, and it's not good. It's catastrophic. I can think up the worst-case scenarios. Anybody ever been there? You're on hyper alert, where before you're kind of, you're kind of withdrawing. Here, you're like, everything seems like it's going to sink you. And you think of the worst scenarios. Now, I have, we all have these seasonal things, no doubt. If you live in Arizona long enough, they're probably about mid-August you're having some kind of depression, my <laughs> guess is, from the heat. But then you get into September 21st or whatever. I mean, then you go, it's fall, and you go, oh, life. Yes. I deal with it. Dr. Dan and I have talked about it. Maybe he'll preach on it someday. I deal with it almost Sunday, every Sunday afternoon that I preach. 
If you ask me what's the most insecure time that I have in my life as an adult, at, at this stage of my life, it's between noon and 10 p.m. on Sundays. And that's, no, I'm not kidding. And it's also something called adrenaline blues, which we won't get into today. I will. Maybe Dan will. <laughs> so I've asked Dr. Dan to come and, and help us walk through some of these things, because one of the things I ask him when I sit down with him this week, were there some things last week as we were talking that you go, man, not that he critiqued my message like some of you did, but no, really, he said, man, this would be good to add to this. And so, Dan, if you could, can you talk to us about the biblical understanding of the interaction between faith, divine healing, and medical science? Yeah, it's really important. Uh, perhaps many of us uh, are uh, under the misunderstanding that this is a new question. The reality is, is that the interaction between uh, caregiving, Luke was a physician, for instance, uh, clearly in the Gospels. So uh, this is long before the scientific age that the church actually worked out the historic theology of the sometimes tension, but certainly the interaction between the concept of divine healing and the use of, um, of caregiving. So for many centuries, uh, primitive medications, procedures, I mean, they learned to drain pus 4,000 years ago because it's gonna drain, so it helps to start. Uh, 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 so those kind of things have been around a long time. And, and so here's the, the classical view of divine healing in the church. Forget the lunatic fringe for the moment. Um, it is that all healing comes from God. All healing. And this comes from the concept that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So for instance, the intellect and the intelligence to learn how to discover antibiotics is a gift from God. So the church never looked at a human being an agent of God's healing as, this is the key, as, oh, well, if the person really had faith, they would just go to God. They wouldn't count on that person, that science, that medication. So it's really important to understand that the, that the fist fight between the faith-only people, you know, uh, and I'll talk about those two ditches in a second, uh, that fist fight is not a historic biblical stand um, at all. So um, the other thing that's important is modern science is not the brainchild of secularism or naturalism. Begrudgingly, all of the science philosophers and historians agree that if it weren't for the biblical worldview, science never would have gotten started. So everything that flows out of science that is a, that is a good actually is a gift from God. It does not come. Secularism doesn't even see a future in the way we see future hope. So healing is seen as a completely different thing even than secularism. So here's the two ditches. Uh, by the way, I, it's, I didn't make this up. John Wesley had this brilliant concept of on something that's important, on the pathway of truth, there's always ditches on both sides. And one ditch is the faith-only ditch. It's one that I've already talked about. And here's the problem. Where that sometimes ends up is a disdain for people who don't have enough faith to just trust God for their healing. So they may, they may say, well, yeah, it's okay for you to go to the doctor, but if you really had faith, you wouldn't need to. And some of you have hear, heard the fav, some of the famous tragic 
easily curable diseases that children have died from because they got spiritual counselor that said, no, if you have faith, you'll, you'll believe they'll get healed. And guess what? Um, <laughs> those people, I always just ask a simple question. Uh, it, it usually catches them off guard. Hopefully they get it at some point. But my question is, so do you believe that if you have enough faith, God will always heal? Uh, and if the answer is yes, then I say, well, then why isn't the Apostle Paul still alive? And some of you will get that question tomorrow, too. Uh, that, that, that idea that if you had enough faith, everyone would always be healed is obviously absurd. But there's the other ditch, which is the God only healed supernaturally back there. And the, where that comes from is the, in, there are some really, really prominent teachers in the church uh, in the broader church, that uh, have this concept that that um, that uh, if you if you um, if you have a lack of faith, right, it it that's not what leads to the issue of whether you get saved, get uh, healed or not. The reality is is that it was only to identify Jesus as the Messiah and the apostles as apostles, and now it doesn't exist anymore. It's important to know. That is out of, uh, out of step with 1,900 years of classical teaching in the church. That's just not right. So let me just, I, I'm, a better, uh, I'm a better writer than, than uh, speaker. Let me, just, let me just give you the summary. Um, we believe in divine healing. We believe in the power of prayer, of faith. We believe that God still performs miracles. As the scripture teaches, we believe the church should bring the elders together anoint the sick with oil, pray the prayer of faith, asking God to heal them. But we also believe that if God chooses not to heal in this way or in that time, we don't consider that a failure of faith because the ultimate prayer of faith was the, faith of the prayer of Gethsemane. The ultimate prayer of faith is not my will. That's the ultimate prayer of trust and faith. It's greater prayer of faith even than the prayer of faith for healing. So all healing comes from God. So when God heals through a physician, it's not a failure of faith and it's not a triumph of science over faith because all healing comes from God. So I would just say the next time you're sitting in the chair and they're drilling in your mouth, and you can listen to your panpipe music and your iPod, and you have no pain at all, just say, oh, Lord, thank you. I wasn't born before 1930. And <laughs> thank you for the miracle of the science that gave us anesthesia. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Dave. You know, and Allie being here this morning, obviously I've got to witness up close her life, and, and one of the things that we've witnessed and Jane and I have as parents, and as I said to you earlier, I've seen it in a, in a parent, seen it in siblings, seen it in spouse, seen it, but also as a parent to watch depression. And I've asked Allie if she would just to, to talk about those stages maybe, but maybe more than that, how she thinks she reached those points along the way in, in her journey as far as dealing with depression and, and what that looks like and what has looked like. Thank you. So, well, I'm thankful to be up here with these two. And I was asking the Lord what I needed to share and how I could really speak into this topic. 
And um, I thought it was hilarious because when I posted to social media um, that Pastor Kurt, Dr. Dan, and myself would be speaking today, somebody responded, Pastor Dr. Allie. <laughs> I was like, that was funny. I get it. <laughs> so I was like, I, I actually really thought it was hilarious. And I just asked the Lord, what is it that you want me to speak on with what I have and what you've given me and the experience and the knowledge that I do have? And he just, the word testimony just kept coming, um, and it's the word of our testimony. And um, as I was thinking back of why, how did I get there, I'm a very analytical person, so I like to look back at why I would have chosen to be there and why did I not see it while I was in it. Um, that was confusing. And the main, um, I, I, had, I feel like I've had depression and suicidal thoughts, honestly, almost as far back as I can remember. Um, and... It's confusing sometimes to think that somebody that young can have those feelings, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but one of the biggest blocks of time that I felt like I just couldn't get out of was from about a little bit later in high school all the way to about 22. So I would say about 16, 17 to 22. It was like a constant, like, I'm good, I'm good, and then it was a crash. And then it was good, and then it was a crash. And then by the time I turned 21, um, Keep in mind, there are things that we do that can cause us um, pain, and there's things that people can do to us that cause us pain. Yeah. And when we don't process it with people, and there's something about confession and bringing this to light, um, it, has, it sometimes has that hold on you. Yeah. And I realized that eventually when I turned 21 and I could go out and do all those things, I medicated it in that way. Um, but I would actually say that during those two years, I didn't really especially when I was going out and stuff, I didn't necessarily just tank all the time. It was like, I always call it like the top of a Lego. It's like my Lego effect from those years. It was like, I was really, really good. Like, yeah, God. And then all of a sudden it was like, and then I was out for like a couple months. And then it was back up again. I'm like, no, I'm going to read scripture and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to, I know what's right. I know I can do this. I know I can do this. If I just do enough, then it'll just keep me up here this whole time. And I realize it's almost like that process of when you go, like, getting in shape to go to the gym. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was almost like I was trying to get my heart right and kind of fix all the things I know I had done and things that I had done wrong before I actually went to God about it. Mm -hmm. It was like I wanted to present myself, like, because I already knew what was right and I was choosing wrong. And so then I was like... Oh, you know, the hiding in the, in the garden, that was like my initial because yeah. I didn't want to know. And then I thought, well, if I could just do enough stuff, then I could be okay from here on out. And God will just like pretend like he never saw it, you know. And um, what I came to the conclusion when I was 22, crying on my closet floor, and I know many of you have heard this story, and I was suicidal, begging for the Lord to take my life. And I remember I lived with my sister at the time, and sometimes she would walk by, and I, I was listening to Avril Lavigne. Um, <laughs> she's just like, Ellie, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. It was like triggers. I knew what was going on, and I was just, but at that point, I just shut myself in my closet. It was a walk-in closet, and I just like had it out with the Lord, and just asked him to take my life because I didn't want to be here anymore. And I will say that sometimes when people are suicidal, it's not because they don't want to be here. Um, as a believer, I was like, I just want to be in heaven. So that's an interesting thought because sometimes you just would prefer to be there already. You're just, and then you feel like you're a burden to everyone here. Life over. Yeah. 
And what I had to realize is that he had me here still for a purpose and for a reason. So if I have breath in my lungs, still, that there's still hope. There's still a way out of this. And so he spoke to me in that moment. He's like, you know I love you, but it is time to make a choice. Either follow me wholeheartedly and leave that way behind, or choose that way but leave my name out of it. See, a lot of us have this, we, we carry all of these things. We live both ways. We're in the world and we want to follow God. Um, but I think it's in that that I realized, I read this scripture, and I'll have it on the screen, and it dawned on me later on after I had gotten out of this, and it's Psalm 32, 1 through 5, and it, this is um, David, and he said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me, and yes. my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, love that word, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to yes. the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It was in that I realized Praise I was God. exhausted, I was tired, I was worn out, I was depressed, I was suicidal because I would not confess the sin in my life. And we have to confess that and in that we find freedom because he has forgiveness for you because he loves you. Yes. And there's confession yes. also within the community, which is in James 5, 17, you can look up later. Yes. But I found that I was refusing to confess, but once I did confess, I found so much freedom and joy and peace replaced in that. So that was one thing that I really realized. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges I think for churches over the, over the decades, and I realized even just in the last few years in my own life, we spent so much time on the spiritual part of it, which we do. That's, I mean, that's what we're here for, partly, but not fully. We believe it's holistic. Yes. We believe God has made us in body, soul, and spirit. That's right. And what happens is if we're not careful, it goes back a little bit to what Dr. Dan was talking about. We just think if we preach one thing here, you can fix everything else. And reality is it could be all of it. Mm -hmm. And we'll be talking about this. I don't want to get into that for the, for the uncommon group this week. So I don't, I'm not going to preach on it right now about this body, soul, and spirit but one of the things that I think is, is important, I, lo I love this, in, uh, uh, John 3, 1 and 2 says, Behold, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. The body. That's what most of us see, what most of us spend our time on. How long did it take you to get ready to come to church today? Yeah. <laughs> Versus your spirit and your soul. A spirit it is the image of God that is stamped on us. The soul that is breathed into us in a way that, you know, I think about the word breath there, that, I mean, this is a paradox that we have, I think, as human beings, is in Genesis 2-7. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Yes. And man became a living soul. We're fragile and we're returned to dust. But the creator of the universe breathed into us life. 
What I love about the soul, and I'll let Dr. Dan talk more about the, all three of these, is it has this unbelievable capacity to be regenerated, if you will, when it rests in God's grace. Yes. Unbelievable. It's the Wesley radical optimism. It's unlimited on what God can do when we begin to rest in that. But I've asked Dr. Dan if he would share a little bit from the, uh, help us understand, he's got a marker board. Those who know Dr. Dan, he's going to break out the marker board here. But from the physiological and medical factors related to depression specifically, if you'd do that. So there are a lot of physiological, uh, a lot of causes. Uh, Ali mentioned several, but um, there are a lot of causes of depression. I'll talk about three. Uh, the first is situational depression. And this is really important to understand. If you look at people who are um, mentally healthy for a lifetime, never, um, many of them never seek mental health help and many of them, I mean, there's a, a large portion of the population, about half, that really n- never uh, have any symptoms or signs at all of any mental health issues. What's interesting is, is the majority of them, if you ask them late in life, have had two or three or four situations where they were profoundly depressed because of an event. It may be a separation of a relationship, it may be a, a death of a loved one, it may be divorce, it might be job loss. And what's really important for all of us to realize is this is actually a normal response for a human. Let me give you a couple of snapshots. If you read in Philippians, it's astounding to hear the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about this guy. He's the guy who, when the teenager is sleeping because he preached too long and falls three stories, dies. I mean, this is my picture of it. Paul says, hey, everybody, I'm not done preaching yet. He runs downstairs. He says, Eutychus, stop falling asleep when I preach. Get up. And this dead teenager is resurrected from the dead, and it's like he goes back up and there's nothing else. It's like, okay, all right, back to point number seven. Yeah, um, type of, so here's a guy with, with this kind of faith, and you know what he says when he hears that Epaphroditus, his friend, had a, had a near-fatal disease? He said, if Epaphroditus had died, I would have had grief upon grief. Grief is a normal cycle. So if if you are always impervious to catastrophic events, that's abnormal. In fact, what's amazing is the resurrection and and the life himself. Do you know what he did when he heard that his friend Lazarus died? He cried. He wept. So here's the power of the resurrection himself, crying. It's normal for a truly human to be depressed in certain situations and events. That's not a faith problem. We go to God whenever we feel like that, but it's not a faith problem. The second is physiological depression, and there's actually a bunch of things, um, bunch of things in physiology that uh, can, can make us depressed, um, but I wanna talk briefly about the adrenal glands. Adrenal just means ad means above, and renal is the Latin term for for kidneys, I spend $150,000 learning Latin at medical school, so I'll impress you as much as I can with my Latin. Um, so, so all of us have, if this is a level in the blood, uh, the level of epinephrine or adrenaline, um, we always have a, a, a certain level, uh, and that helps regulate our blood pressure, and it gives us energy and all that kind of stuff. And when we're coming into a stressful time, when we're coming into a stressful time, uh, 
it, it can go way up. And in fact, let me show you the curve when you're ever been hiking and all of a sudden the rattlesnake's between your feet and you didn't realize it, and now you can, you'll never be able to slam dunk again, but you can now. Um, you know what happens? The adrenals empty. And this is why we used to think maybe it was a lie that dad lifts Volkswagen off of two-year-old. Now you can watch it on YouTube. We actually can do, God has created this unbelievable superhuman uh, uh, adrenal system in us. But here's the problem. The adrenals can be a huge reservoir so you can slam dunk when you need to, okay? But they make adrenaline very slowly. So what happens is you come into, uh, you come into Sundays when you're going to preach, uh, and what happens is, is even though you may still be having a stressor, what happens is the curve goes down and it goes way lower than the normal baseline level. And we all feel this. Not because we don't have faith, but because we're human and God made us this way. Okay? So let me give you a quick snapshot from Scripture of this. Um, how's this? 850 guys are trying to kill you. But you're so confident in your God that at Mount Carmel, you tell the king and the queen and 850 guys, hey, maybe your God Baal went on vacation. Call louder. And they start going nuts and crack, right? I mean, this incredible event's going on. And then Elijah says, hey, I'm going to set it up. Your Baal failed. Baal bailed on you. Um, and I'm going to put water all over the stuff, and my God's still going to take care of things. That's his faith. And as you know, down comes the fire and all Israel falls on their face and says, oh, the Lord, he is God. Have you ever read the 19th chapter of 1 Kings? That's the 18th chapter. You know what happens in the 19th uh, chapter? The king's wife, Jezebel, says, I'm going to kill Elijah for what he did to the, my, my prophets. And Elijah is in the wilderness and he says, oh, God, I'm no better than my fathers. Just kill me now. 24 hours later, he's suicidal. And here's what's amazing. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, comes to him. And you know what he says? You know good for nothing. What else could I do? Oh, the fire falls. How in the world could I ever do anything more impressive to give you faith? No. You know what the angel of the Lord brought to him? He said, I want you to rest. And he brought him food and he brought him water. Guess what? God understands that even Elijah, who had magnificent faith and was ultimately raptured, he had an adrenaline curve. You think he got a little adrenaline when the fire fell? He had an adrenaline curve. And guess what else? He was sleep deprived. He was dehydrated. And he was hypoglycemic. So what did Jesus do twice? The pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord? Twice he brought to him rest, food, and fluids. Aren't you glad God gives us what we need and not what we deserve? So... So physical, physical depression is not a faith issue. You know what you need to do? Take care of your body. Get Sabbath. Turn off your device and the TV. Get balance. Get your weight where it should be. Do periodic exercise. Three one-hour cardiovascular exercises a week dramatically improves your adrenergic system. And really quickly, the third kind, endogenous depression, it means you don't have enough serotonin in the brain. So telling someone with endogenous depression that if they just had faith, they wouldn't feel like this is like telling a diabetic, 
well, if you had faith, your pancreas would make more insulin and you wouldn't have to take your shots. It's actually a physical neurological deficiency. That person needs God's healing through the physician because all healing comes from God. Allie, I know you spent a lot on your education, so let's see what. (laughs) (laughs) Your turn. I didn't mean to start a family fight, sorry. (laughs) Or maybe I did. Maybe maybe Janet and I did. That's right. Have you paid it back yet? (laughs) What's interesting, as we shared last week, the two highest, uh, I guess, susceptible to suicide, adolescent girls, middle-aged men. That's right. And you got two of those up here. (laughs) And you got... One girl who was an adolescent at one time. And, uh, if I get confused. I'm okay. But it is hard to grasp sometimes that children and adolescents have the kind of depression. It's hard to grasp on one side or the other side. It, it is a little easier once you think about it. But I'm going to ask Allie if she'd share with us a little bit about her journey specifically in that area and what God has done in her life. Um, yeah. I think when I was uh, when I was looking back at my I guess my journey through this, there were two different things that I saw came up very often in my life. And as Dr. Dan was sharing, there's a lot of things that can cause depression, but personally, there are two main things that got that why I got there. The first one, like I said, was lack of confession and trying to carry all of that. And I want to say on that, there's nothing too big that you can't bring to God, and nothing so small that you should keep from Him. And he Good. told me that a couple of months ago, and I cannot stop thinking about that. Anytime I do something, I just, like, confess it, like, right away. And I realize that it brings so much freedom and joy, and you don't have that weight on you. The second thing is something that when I think back of when I was really young and in adolescence and, and hearing the fact that these girls, it, that this is skyrocketing with social media, I didn't grow up with that. Yeah. Um, it is an identity issue. Uh, The um, research says that the most confident that young girls are in their lives is nine years old. The most confident that women ever, females ever are is nine years old. That's their peak. For guys, it's way later. Um, And so why is that? And I think what's coming into play is we're starting to be inundated with what the world says is beautiful, Um, the expectations of what women have on them physically, I think, and when you start to look around and compare, um, and so many changes are happening, there's just like, you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like you'll never be like that person, that yeah. it's just a different type of weight, I think, and um, just an awareness of it, and so as I was growing up, I could look around and be like, well, my sister is just like, always wants to do what's right, why <laughs> do I just have this inclination to just rebel? <laughs> Like, it actually just made me want to run even further just to be different. Um, And so as I was learning that and growing, I couldn't understand. Like, I didn't fit in. I didn't know why. I couldn't find the right group of friends. Every, it never, it always seemed like I could not be enough. I was struggling with the feeling of not enough. My identity was in what other people said of me and what I thought I looked like compared to other people. So what I did was I poured myself into academics. I mean, I did get scholarships, Dad. You know, (laughs) 
Uh, but it wasn't even just out of the, the joy of learning. It was because I was trying to be perfect because I thought that would be good enough. Um, I always wanted to be great in sports. I wanted to be the fastest. I wanted to be the strongest. I wanted to be the one that was always on the court because to me, that, that achieved something. I wanted to achieve that because it made me feel better about something that I found my identity in. As I got older, I would travel a lot. I still travel a lot, but I used to find my identity in when somebody was gonna say, where are you going to next? I was so excited for people to ask me that because I'm like, yeah. I found identity in singleness. I found identity in relationships. We can find it in our jobs. We, we search everywhere for something else to tell us who we are. And when we continually do that, we live in a broken world and even the someone who loves you the absolute most will fail you sometimes in that, in that arena. You need to go to the one that loves you and who made you and formed you. I always think of Psalm 139, and I read it, and I wept once I really gave my life back over to the Lord. So when I was younger, I didn't know where my identity was. Now, fast forward, I've rededicated my life to the Lord. I've confessed all that, gone through college, rededicated my life, and now I'm still like, okay, but where's my identity? I was still trying to find what is it. And, um, and I read this in Psalm 139, and it's just talking about David saying, like, Lord, you formed me in my, in my mother's womb. Like, when no one else knew what was going on, you saw me. You planned every day before I was ever, like, conceived. And I just thought, there's a moment in time when the only person who knows I'm about to happen was God. He saw me in that very moment and he still, he's like, I have a purpose for Allie. So I'm gonna form her and I'm gonna put her in her mother's womb and she's gonna come out. She's gonna have family here. She's gonna move to Phoenix. She's gonna have all of these things. And I'm like, okay, Lord, these are the things, but what did you make me for? These are the things I see. And as we were going through Uncommon, which was after I came back to the Lord and I wanna say, there's spiritual gifts tests, there's um, so many sacred pathways, we, we do that here and we believe in it firmly, but when I was still dealing with depression, even after I'd given my life to the Lord, rededicated and searching and going after him, I was still wondering why he made me the way that I was. I still felt like I wasn't enough, or sometimes I felt like I was too much. You guys know I'm extra, okay? Like, I was just like, ah, why? <laughs> like, I'm so, like, I, I overthink everything, but I'm super passionate, and I'm just like, ah, no one can ever truly love me. Why am I operating this way? And when we went through Uncommon, um, and I started to go through the spiritual gifts test, and, and it's not the end-all, be-all, let me say that, but when I took it, and I realized that God gave me the gift of teaching, the gift of knowledge. Um, actually, I have my uncommonality sheet for you guys. Um, I don't know if you can see all of this and we don't need to go through all of it, but there, I mean, Enneagram, my strategy, my spiritual gifts, all of these things started to make sense. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I love, like, I love to learn. If you, um, with the spiritual gifts, with knowledge and wisdom, all of these things started to make sense to me and then I felt known and seen. And I'm like, oh my word, God did all of this for exactly this time so that I could be the preacher that he had called me to be, but I didn't know it back then. But as I started to search after him and I started to ask him why, what are the things that you've made me for? How can I serve? And as I grew in that, there was one day I saw this and it said, preachers are logic set, pre preaching is logic set on fire. 
And I went, oh my goodness, I'm called to preach. Logic, I overanalyze everything and then set on fire, I'm uber passionate. And I'm like, that's it. I'm made for this. It's not something that I was too much or not enough or any of this. Actually, he made me exactly this way to do the very thing that he has called me to do. And he has done that for each one of you. So there's things that he's like, I'm not enough. Maybe it's a yeah. gift mix. Maybe it's something so that you can serve the community around you. It's not just for you, but it's for the people around you. And when I saw that and I recognized that, it changed everything. One, that he loved me. Two, that he has forgiven me. And three, that he made me on purpose and for a purpose. Mm, yeah. Amen, that's good. Our goal here has always been, I mean, it has been for years and years, but especially at renovation, is to help people find their purpose. And we know coming to know Christ as your Savior is the number one thing. Right. It, yes. it just, it is, it is. And, and again, people can argue here, I'm telling you, that is the tipping point. And then from there forward, it's unbelievable what God can do. Uh, just a, real quick as, I, as we close here today, I wrote these down, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get in depth with them because I'm going to speak on it a little bit next Sunday. But just some thoughts on when I get in a kind of a low, kind of see myself drifting, I see myself going to a ring, because I, I, there's triggers, as you dealt with it, there's triggers that you, that you recognize. Now, everybody, I'm going to guess, has different triggers or different ways to recognize. But for me, there's, there's seven questions. Really, I guess there's probably eight, because Dan mentioned about the eating part of it uh, is one of those. But I had seven questions I put up here, and you, I'm not going to go in depth with them. I'll talk more about them next week. But one of them is, am, am I engaging spiritual disciplines? Am I engaging them? Am I doing it even when I don't feel like it? Am I stepping or am I disengaged? Because that seems to be one thing that I, have to have, I, I do. I begin to disengage. Another one is, am I well hydrated? Sounds like that would have nothing to do with it, but it does. Am I, I, you, you breathe out, for instance, I get up every morning. Jan will tell you I drink 20 ounces of water as soon as I get out of bed every morning. I just knock it down. And as soon as I, I probably got 35 ounces of water in me probably an hour into the morning. Because you breathe out 33 ounces while you sleep. Okay, 33 ounces of water you breathe out while you sleep. So you're, you wake up dehydrated. Wake up. So I'm just saying, that's something I do, and I, I try to use that. Do with it what you wish. Am I breathing? Sounds silly. When I get anxiety, I breathe short. I don't breathe deep. Prayer is a great way to help me breathe deeper, just so you know. Okay? Um, how much sun am I getting? Light is medicine. <laughs> okay. In a lot of different ways. How am I sleeping? 75%, I heard that read this, 75% of the people, reason people don't fall asleep or stay asleep is either anxiety or depression. 75% of the reason. Am I moving? Is there exercise? Is there something I'm doing to get my, get, am I just getting up and stretching? Am I getting up and getting myself loose? And the last one I would just say, am I moving forward? Am I accomplishing? I so told you last week, one of the ways I look up, am I getting up and making my bed in the mornings? One of my checks. I want to get out of bed every morning and start accomplishing something. But even greater than that is exactly what Ali just mentioned. And am I, ta am I taking steps to live into the purpose God has created me to be? Am I doing that? Because I believe in that, 
I was designed for a purpose. And like I said, we are working hard here at Renovation to try to help you figure that out. We realize we're in a, a culture of clutter. And we're trying to help you to make sense of the noise. If there's any way we can do that. God has called you to great things. Like I said last week, even the most messed up part of your life, whether it's caused to you or you caused it, God can redeem it. Amen. Yes. And use it for Amen. his glory. Amen. We're trying to help you get there. But we do believe all healing comes from God. But man alive, we may have to give some good conditions for that to happen. I'm going to ask Dr. Dan to close with a story that he was sharing with me this week as we get out of here today. Next week we'll be... Be, li- be looking at our email this week. We'll be giving you a heads up on some things we'll be doing for next Sunday around this topic. Again, we'd rather wear our welcome, <laughs> stay too long, than to leave too soon on this particular subject. Dr. Dam, would you share with us, please? So the first five minutes of medical school was completely bizarre for me. First day, Dana and I had moved to St. Louis, Washington University. We show up, Dr. Peterson the most renowned anatomist in the world um, did our first class it's where every medical student starts called gross anatomy um, that's not a that, that uh, maybe it is a double entendre the uh, but um, he um, he started the class this way he said nothing he took this big piece of burlap which for those who didn't grow up in you know Texas uh, is just dead cowskin right um, and um, he took a he took a a, a, um, a a knife and he cut about a 12 to 15 inch uh, laceration in this burlap and he he uh, it's really bizarre he he put his head through it like this and he looked at every one of us through this hole that he had made in the burlap and then on a really well lighted table that was in a theater really great theater uh, teaching setting lights all over this on a table he took at least five minutes and he put about 30 or 40 sutures perfectly closing that uh that laceration back up in the burlap and they took it never saying a word and he hung it on the wall next to the le- lectern and then for four months it hung there he never said a thing we didn't have a clue we forgot it was even there we all came in the last day i, I did not know at that point he's a man of incredible faith just, inc- just an incredible Christian uh, man. And um, he came back and he said, uh, before, he, before he handed out our finals at the final, he took this thing down, put it back on the table that he had, and he took a knife, and, excuse me, he took uh, scissors, and he snipped each one of those sutures, all 30 or 40 of them, uh, pulled the sutures aside, he pulled apart that burlap, And he put his face back in it, and he said, listen, future doctors, you don't do the healing. And what it was, was a profound testimony to, you can be a perfect surgeon, you can be a perfect doctor, you can make the perfect diagnosis, but the reality is, perfect suturing will never heal a wound. It's not the doctor who does the healing. God does all the healing. And so, one of the things that that really changed my life about was, was understanding 
that he's the great physician. Many of you came in today, we talked mostly about depression, but came in anxious. And the reality is, you need his touch. And the beauty is, he's not going to take away our humanity. He's not going to take away the adrenaline curve. Even Elijah gets depressed. But what he does do is that you can't go lower than the cross. And he has already borne every bit of it. So ask for him to heal you. And then go where you need to go and do what you need to do and include others in the confession and the healing that happens. Pastor? Would you stand with me? Close out today. Thank you, Dan. Like I said, we'll be getting you more information this coming week on what next Sunday will look like around, again, this conversation. You pray for us. Lord, we walked in here today with faith and you say if it's as small as a mustard seed wow I think that's pretty small Lord I just pray across this room that there will be faith today one that they have created for great purposes then you are the way to that that there'd be faith today that if there is help in medical, you're there. But Lord, we also know today that in confession and being in a community where you can confess, you're there. And Lord, we just pray as we've walked through this last week and we'll walk through this next week around this topic, Lord, that you'll give us insight, discernment, of how we can help your children become everything you've called them to be. Lord, we thank you today, again, that you've given us great purpose. Whether it's the refiner's fire, <laughs> Lord, or whatever it may be, we pray today as you prayed. Lord, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Lord, thank you today for this family. And we pray today for those maybe here for the first time. We pray that you'll you give us a chance to even to greet them. Lord, maybe answer any questions. But Lord, again, we thank you for this time. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. <laughs>